In America, we love freedom. I think we'd probably all love a little more freedom. But the thing about freedom is that a world full of people that are basically not good or not inherently good, like the Bible tells us, means that if there was freedom without restraints, that would be bad. That would descend into anarchy. And so God, because of that, in his wisdom, has given us structures. He's given us uh, restraints to restrain evil. And one of those things, one of those limits that he's given us is government. And so today is the day before the 4th of July, if you didn't know, if you haven't heard the fireworks already at nighttime. And so because of that, we're going to talk about not only religion, but also politics. So those are the two controversial topics, right? So if you like controversial topics, well, this is going to be a great morning for you. I don't think it's that controversial, but you know, it's in the Bible. All right, so our passage this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 11 and go through verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. And the word of the Lord says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as people who are free, not using your liberty as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. So in this passage, we really see three things. One, we see the identity of the Christian, the Christian identity as the, the foundation. And then Peter goes on to talk about the role of a Christian citizen and the role of a government in this. And so we'll cover those things. First, we'll look at the, the Christian identity, and that is summed up in two words here, sojourner and exile. We see that at the beginning of verse 11. Peter starts by saying that. He starts the book by saying that. He says that this book is written to the elect exiles in the first two verses. We see in verse 17 of chapter 1 that he's writing what we're supposed to do during our time of exile here as we walk this earth. And then here he continues to talk about what are we supposed to do as exiles. And so as we think about how the Bible describes us, we can really think about conversion, right? When we're converted, we're not only 
raised from death to life spiritually, but the Bible describes that also as a transfer between kingdoms, a transferring of citizenship, in other words. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, right before our passage this morning in verses 9 and 10 of First Peter chapter 2, it says this, You are a chosen race, a, to- a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy, And so when Jesus came and died, it was so that his people would be delivered from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. He brought that on the cross. On the cross. He, he bought that. He brought it about. He bought it when he died on the cross. And so when we're converted, when we submit to Jesus as our Lord, then that happens to us. We're transferred out of darkness into darkness. Light, And so we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. He's our ruler. He's our authority. And we submit to him. And so if we're citizens of his kingdom, that means we're not citizens of the world. The Bible describes this world under the sway of the devil. He's called the ruler of this world. We read that in 1 John. And that's why Peter refers to us as exiles as we go throughout our time here in the world. This isn't our home. It's not a place that we should get overly comfortable in because we don't belong to it. You can look in the Old Testament. You can see how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were sojourners walking through the land of Canaan. God promised them that land, but it wasn't theirs yet. They were still sojourning. They were still waiting for the promise of the new heaven, or for the, the promised land to come to them. Uh, likewise, when Jesus walked to this earth, he was a sojourner. You think about him coming from heaven. Heaven is his home, not earth. He came, he walked as a, a sojourner among us. He tabernacled among us, as John says. And so he set that example of what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven here on earth earth. And Peter continues that. He reminds us of that, and he picks up on that. And really, the highlight that he tells us of what we're supposed to do here on earth is in these verses. Verse 11, he says to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So what is our priority? As citizens of heaven and not citizens of the earth, what are we supposed to do? He says these two things. He says, abstain from from the passions of the flesh. In other words, you're exiles on earth, so don't be caught up with the passions that are earthly. The desires themselves, not just the sinful actions, but the the desires, they wage war on our soul. That's what he says here. And so these, these sins, these desires, they're not minor, they're not insignificant. They're waging war against our soul. And so if we continue to do that one thing, or we continue to say that one thing, or we continue to waste our time on that one thing, 
right? All these things are not insignificant. God is saying here that these are a spiritual warfare against us. And we need to be aware of that. We need to abstain from those passions, those desires, those sins. And so as we understand this, we can think about our purpose as exiles. If I just read it, but in verses 9 and 10, it tells us our purpose as Christians. That now we have been brought out into the light. Our purpose is to proclaim how marvelous God is, to, to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 9. That's one of the reasons God saved us. He made us his people so that we can proclaim how excellent he is, how marvelous he is. Well, if we're following after other passions, after earthly passions, then, we're, then what we're really saying is, well, these things are excellent, these things are marvelous, and it's taking us away from our purpose as Christians to declare how marvelous God is. So you can see the warfare there, how those, those are against each other. He says, abstain from those things. That principle applies to, to all sins, to all passions that are not of the Lord. We are at war for our soul. That's what Peter says here. And we need to make sure that we are waging war for our soul first and foremost. So as Peter is talking about this, as we're exiles, we're supposed to abstain from passions of the flesh. But we're not just supposed to avoid doing things that are wrong. He tells us to have honorable conduct in verse 12. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So he really gives us these two focuses, foci, of abstaining from sinful desires and then doing good, having honorable conduct. And so this is really what we talked about if you were here for VBS this week, right? Our theme verse was Ephesians 2.10. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I know all the five and six-year-olds memorize the verse, so there's a challenge for you. You can go memorize it too, but that's our purpose, right? That's one of the reasons we're still here is to do good, not just to abstain from evil, but to do good. And Peter says that as we do good, that it will be a witness, that people will see it, they'll see our good works, and they will give glory to our Father in heaven. And so, as we see that identity, that dual identity as exiles here on earth, then that reminds us that we are, well, we're not of the earth. We're in it, but we're not of it, as Jesus reminds us. So by definition, a citizen of heaven means that our primary allegiance is not here on earth. So to apply that to us, we live here in America. That means that as citizens of heaven, our primary allegiance is not to America. Being a Christian is our main identity, not being American. Now, when I say that, that sounds very unpatriotic, un-American. It's the 4th of July, right? But really, God's going to show us in this passage how keeping that as our primary focus is actually the best thing you can do for the people around you. Doing these, abstaining from the works of the flesh, the passions of the flesh, and doing good is actually the thing that impacts the most the people around you. And so keeping that focus tight on personal holiness and declaring the excellencies of God is actually 
going to have the most impact, the most benefit to your neighbors, to your state, your city, your country. And so as we go through this, we'll see that play out in this passage. God is our authority. We answer to him. Now, how does that play out? That doesn't mean that we ignore the rules or laws that are here on earth, regardless of what country we're in. Uh, Peter says that we're free. You might have caught that in verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, right? We're under the authority of God. God is over everything, and so that means we're free. We are free to follow God regardless of any other authorities here on earth. We are the freest people on earth, but as servants of God, God tells us to then submit to the authorities that are here on earth, specifically in this passage, to the government. And we see that play out through the rest of the book, whether it's the government, whether it's employees, whether it's uh, the family structure, whether it's any other structure, Peter plays that out for us. But we're told, as servants of God who are free, subject yourselves to the ruling authorities for the Lord's sake. That's a key phrase in verse 13. It's for the Lord's sake, not for the government's sake, but because we want to honor the Lord whom we are serving. This is what we do. And so we then think about what is our role as Christians? How do we do that? What is the role of the government that we're supposed to submit to? And so let's talk about those. We'll talk about the role of the government first. So now that we've thought about exiles and being exiles here, citizens of heaven, but exiles here, and Peter's laid out how that's primary, let's think about the role of the government. Simply put, the role of the government that we see in this passage is to punish evil and to praise good. That's in verse 14. We see that governors as sent by him to punish those who are evil and to praise those who do good. That's, that's Peter's summary. It's not a large summary. It doesn't give us government structures or how things should be set out, but that's the general idea of why God gave us government. Romans 13 talks about this as well, how the government bears the sword in punishing evil, right? This is the role that God has given the government in his world. And so in America, we see that role played out through, through laws, through the judicial system, through even through tax breaks on the positive side of things and other incentives, right, that on one hand seek to punish evil and the other hand seek to in, encourage good or to praise good. We see some of those things in our system today. But the passage is very clear that we're supposed to, to honor the, the emperor, to honor the governor as the governor. This is the honor that's due to really due to everyone we're supposed to honor, verse 17, but specifically to those in positions of authority. And so how do we do that? How do we honor the government? Well, at the very least, we're thankful that we have them. Uh, as we've kind of talked about already, government, even poor government, is better than anarchy. And we can look throughout the world, and we've seen how that's played out, not that in the distant, not too distantly in the past, how there have been evil regimes, but then they've been toppled. Well, then there's been a power vacuum, and it seems like things have gotten worse in those regions than, than better. 
And it's not that it was good before, but we see that some government is better than no government, usually. Not all the time, but usually. And so that's one reason to, to honor the government. We could, we could go on, we could list several others. We won't because of time this morning, but we see these roles. There are reasons to honor because of it being something that God has given. And so, really, frankly, we have to notice this passage doesn't give us a lot of details about the government, what it's supposed to look like. But these are the guidelines. Punish evil, praise good. That's the government's role. Well, what is the role of the Christian? So we've seen the, that we are citizens of heaven, exiles here on earth, called as servants of God for the Lord's sake to be subject to the government. We're free, but for the Lord's sake, we honor those in authority. We submit, we seek to be a witness to those around us. And that means we're going to seek to be citizens who, who obey the laws that don't contradict the Bible. We're not uh, just rebels for rebels' sake, right? We are people who are submitting as we can for the Lord's sake. God says that this will be a way, as we do this, verse 15, this will be a way that we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Specifically, we see in this book, people are claiming that Christians are bad, that they're actually bad for society. They're the problem with what's going on. It's not unfamiliar to today, right? But Peter says, God is telling us in this book, that as you do good, as you actually are living this out, not just saying it, but living it, people will see that that's not really true. And that they will then, some, will give glory to God because of it. And so these are, really, these are straightforward teachings of this passage, right? We're citizens of heaven, and as servants of Jesus, we do good works here on earth. And one of those good works, that honorable conduct, is submitting to government. Likewise, the government is given by God in order to punish evil and praise good. That's the, that's the straightforward teaching in this passage. The question that remains, though, is what do you do when the government is not fulfilling that role? When they're not punishing evil and praising good? What is our responsibility as Christian citizens? Right? You could, you could talk about what's the citizen's responsibility in general, but we are Christians, we're looking at the Bible, what is the Christian response? What are we supposed to do in that situation? Well, this is a question that we think about as sojourners and exiles, and we think specifically about John 18. I think this is helpful. It helps us think through this. It was our scripture reading this morning. If you want to turn back there and look at those couple of verses in John 18, we see Jesus addressing this topic. And really, this is relevant because we live in a world full of non-perfect people, right? The Bible clearly tells us that. And so, no matter how good a structure or a leader is, there will be shortcomings regardless. So, this is a question that's always relevant to us, regardless of what party is in office, regardless of who is the mayor, this will always be a question we have to think about. So as we look at John and Jesus answering Pilate, who's the ruler, in verse 36, John 18, 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And so Jesus is really helpful to us that as Christians, citizens in an imperfect government, he says that at that point his, his people didn't fight to, to overcome the injustices that were happening. I mean, Jesus was unjustly crucified. He told Peter to put his sword away. He said that they, if they needed it, God would send a host of angels to help them. But he said that his people were not going to put him as king by force, in other words. And so they weren't going to try to, you might say, Christianize the nation through force. We're not called to make America into a theocracy or make it into Old Testament Israel, so to speak. But we know that one day, America and every other nation will be ruled by God. But that day is not yet. And Jesus says we shouldn't try to use force. His people don't fight to make it happen. And we can look at history and really see how that that really hasn't worked out anyways in the past when people have conquered in the name of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we don't, as Christian citizens, try to influence the government. It doesn't mean we sit idly by while things are not right. Because Jesus continues in verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Jesus is saying, My people aren't fighting to get me free and set me up as king, but I have come to bear witness to the truth, and that's by implication what his people do as well. That he bears witness to the truth. To the truth. He speaks the truth. And as he speaks the truth, people hear and follow him and are changed. And really, you can see this is bigger than just what is the government doing, right? This is for everyone everywhere. We must speak the truth, bear witness to the truth. And as people hear that, they then follow Jesus and are changed. But also, as we do that, it will impact the people around us. It will impact Uh, those who are in authority around us. Possibly. Not always, but possibly. Really, we see this example for us, not just with Jesus while he was here on earth speaking the full truth of God about the good news, but also about the judgment and what was right and how to truly follow him and what was evil. Right? But we see this also with with the Old Testament prophets as well, because not every king in Israel was good. You remember None of them were good. There were only a few in the south that were good, but none of the northern kingdom was good. Well, they had prophets that went to them, and they bore witness to the truth. This is what God is saying, what you should be doing. And their example is really, I think, what Jesus is saying here as well and what he points us to as Christians today. That is, that is our role to, to be that voice of truth, to, to declare to the government whose role is to punish evil and to praise good, what is that evil? What is that good? This is what God says. And it didn't make the prophets popular, but they were faithful in doing it. And if we do that, it doesn't mean that we're trying to make America into a 
theocracy into a country that's just under the rule of God, even though everyone's not a Christian. But it does mean that we are trying to influence according to God's good design. Because remember, if God really created everything, then he truly knows how everything is supposed to go and what is best for everything. And so we should be saying, this is good, this is right, this will lead to flourishing. This will lead to flourishing for everyone. It's not that you must be a Christian for this to work, although we must submit to God. We should call people to that as well. But the more we line up with what he says, the better it is for this world. And so as citizens, we have that ability to, to say what we think would be best for the country. And as Christians, we understand that God told us what that is as the creator. And if structures, governments function in line with the justice and morals of God, then the country would flourish more. And so as Christians, we, we should bear witness to the truth. We should be in office, seek to run for office. We should vote. We should call for laws that line up with God's view of justice and line up with God's view of humanity and how humans truly flourish. That's not forcing our religion on someone else, but that's trying to do what is good for those around us. And you can see how people will speak evil of you if you do that. Which is why we are told, we remember in the beginning, we are told to do good. We're told to be people who are filled with good works, who aren't just saying this, but who are living it out. Right? This brings us full circle. Right? As as citizens of heaven, exiles here on earth, we're supposed to honor everyone and do good. And what better way to do that than by seeking the good of everyone around us through seeking good laws and structures that bring flourishing. And that is what ultimately we're called to do, to be faithful to God. And as we do that, not just speaking it, but living that out with the actions to back it up, then people will see that this isn't just something we're saying, but hey, we've seen that work out in the church. They don't just say that they care about people. They, they live that out. They care about the people in their community. They care about the people in their church. It's not just something they say. It's something they're doing. We should be in a, a light post, a, uh, an embassy of the kingdom of heaven here on earth where people can come and they can see what the future kingdom will look like and what is good. So as we're doing it, it adds credibility and not only saying what God wants, but living it out. And so really we see the wisdom of God here in this passage. It's not emphasizing political activism. We have to say that here. He says, submit. He doesn't say we shouldn't do those things. We shouldn't be active. We shouldn't campaign. We shouldn't have political strategies. But that's, that's really not the the main thrust of this passage, right? The main point is abstain from evil and do what is good. Make sure you focus on the holiness in your own life. Live that out and bear witness to the truth. And as you do that, that will have an impact. You'll be waging the spiritual war around you for your soul, and others will hear the words of Jesus, and hopefully they will be drawn to follow him as you proclaim his word as well. And so this is what Peter tells us in this passage in 1 Peter about 
living as Christians, living as Christian citizens here on earth. So let's pray as we conclude this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you remind us of what we need to be doing all the time, that we don't first and foremost need to be concerned with what is going on out there, but first and foremost we need to be concerned about what is going on in our soul, to wage war against the sins of our soul. And we pray that we would do that, that we would not think lightly of them, that we would take them seriously and do whatever is necessary to eliminate them. We pray that we would be a people who does good, who doesn't just see something that needs to be done and then comments about it or says this should be done, but are people who see it and then go be involved in doing good in that situation. God, we pray that as we do that, that other people would see the hope that we have in you and that we would have an opportunity to, to witness, to share the hope that we have so that others would see you in us and give you glory and be saved. God, we do pray that we would understand and have wisdom in what it means to be subject to the government of when they are doing something that compromises our Christian walk and when they are not, and that we would have an increased desire to bear witness to the truth to those around us. And God, we pray that as we do that, that you will remind us of your faithfulness and of your goodness and that you would save souls. And Lord, ultimately, we pray that you would come back because we need you to rule. We need you to come. Your kingdom come here on earth. And Lord, we long for that day when, when all the governments of the world fade and you are our king, the perfect ruler who enacts perfect laws, perfect justice, perfect righteousness. And we, we pray that you would come quickly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.